Welcome back to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Emily Boyton. Emily graduated in 2009 with a degree in international communications. Emily has a, pref- a plethora of experiences in management, organizational and program development, as well as strategic implementation. Not only that, but Emily is a lifetime member of the Alumni Council for Franklin, as well as a recent alumni trustee. I'm super excited to introduce you all to her and learn about her journey thus far. So officially, welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Margaret. I'm excited to be here. So let's just get right into it. So like I mentioned, post-graduation, you were elected as an alumni council member for Franklin for a lifetime position on the council. And I was wondering kind of how you came across that opportunity and what made you feel like this was the right position for you post-Franklin? Yeah, that's a great question. I uh, was very involved in Franklin when at the school. I think uh, we've talked about this a number of times, uh, you and me and and other uh, current students that really Franklin is what you make of it. And so I I'm always, I've always been a person that wants to get extremely involved in whatever I'm passionate about. And so I was on student government. I was an actor at Franklin. Um, I did as much as possible all the time uh, to really soak up my Franklin experience. And um, so it was kind of a natural step to continue supporting the people who are at Franklin through the Alumni Council. You know, there are opportunities to mentor students, um, not just through the alumni association, but get really involved in the future of Franklin through the alumni council. Um, and I've, I've loved staying in touch with Franklin since graduation. And I think this is a perfect way to do that. Yeah. Was it an easy transition going from a student to kind of being more of a supportive mentor figure? Yes, because I found out that, uh, you know, you make of it what you will, you know, uh, just like at Franklin, I um, got involved pretty quickly and helped out uh, with marketing, um, really building up the Alumni Council's marketing (laughs) a little bit more to the rest of the alumni. And I still feel like I'm working on that to this day, uh, because the Alumni Council goes through ebbs and flows of people knowing who we are, and then not knowing who we are. So this is a great opportunity now still being on the Alumni Council to um, really publicize uh, a, a more involved way to be a part of Franklin uh, and to help out students that are there now. So that was easy. The mentoring has, is still, you know, going on. I'm still trying to figure that out. I started with simply meeting with students who were interested in living in Washington, D.C. That's where I moved after I graduated from Franklin. Uh, and just, you know, saying, connect with me on LinkedIn, let me know what you're interested in. And I know people. That's one of my favorite things to do is get to know people around town and just like think through different ways that everyone can help each other out. And DC can be hard to navigate sometimes, um, especially if you're not an extrovert like me. <laughs> and uh, so I loved helping out the new students who um, had just graduated and were looking to get into that world a little bit more with you know, my familiar as well as professional connections. Yeah, that's super cool. And you mentioned actually kind of working with marketing as an alumni council member, which kind of draws me to a curiosity that I had about when you worked as an admissions marketing and communications representative. I mean, also as well as a development associate for Franklin, but 
I was kind of wondering what that was like and how that potentially solidified for you that you wanted to give back to Franklin post Franklin. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a lot of my work at Franklin was in promoting Franklin. <laughs> I loved being that admissions uh, ambassador for Franklin, walking kids around uh, campus, really getting them to fall in love with Franklin as much as I am still in love with Franklin. Uh, and uh, I think helping out those kids just see the possibilities that Franklin has, like not just the university, but living abroad, living in a different area that they've grown up in. Yeah, I think is really important for um, your own self growth. No matter what background you're from, you still have to deal with things on your own. And yes, you have to do that at any university, but you also have to do it in a a foreign country uh, where you have to learn the basics of living and then on top of that, doing it by yourself. So it's, I wanted every student to come and experience that. I did work for Franklin um, for a year after uh, I graduated as an admissions counselor, and that's that marketing representative position. And uh, that was really fun to be able to go across the country and talk more about Franklin, but it definitely wasn't my uh, career, I realized, um, because I, I, I think if you continue to speak about something for you know too long it loses its myst- mysticalness <laughs> uh, and so um, eventually I wanted to get into what I was more passionate about and that's um, health and human awareness and, and giving back through my nonprofit work uh, instead yeah that's super I, I see what you mean about the allure kind of losing itself as time goes on but that's nice that you were able to kind of travel and meet a lot of new people and connect them together yeah um, and it was nice to be a part of um we always joked as emissions representatives that franklin's a self-filtering school so the people that were coming to us were passionate and unique people in general no matter where you are in the world those are unique people that want to go to franklin university switzerland you know or who have an inkling. <laughs> and so yeah. it, was, it was great. It was really fun to meet um, these amazing and inspiring students all over uh, the United States for me and uh, um, to help them try to figure out how best to get to Franklin <laughs> um, was, uh, was really fun. But definitely uh, I knew it wasn't going to be my career. Yeah, and actually, so... Post-graduation of Franklin, you got a job working as a development and external relations intern for the Atlantic Council of the United States. And I was kind of wondering what brought you to that position, similar to my question before, but just tell us more about that position and how that was for you. Yeah. Actually, after I graduated from Franklin, I went on a tour of some more Uh, some larger cities that were more internationally focused or had a lot of people from everywhere around the country and world because I didn't want to leave that atmosphere of Franklin. Um, I wanted to be back in America. I wanted to be close to my family, um, closer to my family uh, (laughs) in Colorado. Um, And uh, so I was looking at San Francisco, uh, New York, and and Washington, D.C. And I met with alumni in each one of those cities. Uh, um, and that actually really helped in trying to get a feel for the city and what kind of opportunities there were. Um, 
every single alumni that I met with was, you know, either from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and they were so helpful and willing to meet with me. Uh, it was it was beautiful. I think that actually inspired me to stay with the Alumni Council longer because of just like people that only went to Franklin for a semester were inspired and wanting to be a part of my life and my my career journey. I just had to ask, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, an alumna, uh, alumnus um, actually worked at the Atlantic Council. And so I talked with him. Uh, he didn't work in that same uh, area, but um, I talked with him for a second. He passed my resume on to the development and external relations team. And uh, I had an interview that next day. Um, and when they told me I was going to be an intern there, I immediately started asking my aunt and uncle who had just moved out there a month before if I could live with them. (laughs) So (laughs) it was kind of perfect timing. Uh, I needed to, um, make that move happen. Um, and I'm fortunate that I had a couple really great relatives already living out there so I could take on this opportunity. Yeah, that's super nice. And what did your day to day kind of look like in that position? That was a unique, I feel like that was the perfect introduction to Washington, D.C. because I was a lowly little intern, but I got to meet, you know, Hillary Clinton. Uh, I got to uh, talk with the the head of the World Bank at the time. Uh, And all these people kept coming through. And because I was in the development and and external relations department, I got to work on these events and. that we would host as a think tank. Our think tank was really good about getting amazing people in the door to have conversations, you know, either round table conversations, lecture style conversations. Uh, they were fantastic at that and they still do that to this day. So it was a great way for me to um, know that, you know, like holding the door open and smiling was a big part of the job, you know, <laughs> as an intern. And it was okay that it was like that kind of smaller position, but uh, I was doing it for the betterment of the whole think tank and so that we could meet with these amazing minds and really uh, create sometimes controversial conversation, uh, which is what we need in this world. Yeah, that sounds super fun. And actually, in 2015, you stayed in Washington, D.C. and started your master's program at Georgetown in crisis emergency and disaster management. And something super interesting about that is the one week intensives that you got to do. So you got to travel to like England, California, Washington and D.C. I mean, you can obviously elaborate more on this, but I wondered, did, did your job or your internship kind of push you to to the idea that you wanted to pursue crisis and disaster management as a master's and, you know, just how was your experience with that as well? Yeah, I actually, after the council, I started uh, working for JDRF, which is a type one diabetes research foundation. And uh, through that, uh, I got to learn more about the human body and health and just the amazing will power of people putting their money and time behind uh, finding a cure for this autoimmune disease. So, you know, in a way, it's a long term crisis. Uh, And what I my ultimate goal in life is to um, run for office and uh, um, specifically uh, uh, being a mayor. Um, And I found that out through this graduate graduate program through Georgetown, I wanted specifically to find out more about the um, 
systems that we rely upon that uh, heavily rely upon, but we know very little about, you know, it's very easy when you're a kid to learn about policemen, you know, police officers, about uh, firefighters, about even, you know, the military and kind of idolize them, but to know what systems and what bureaucracy are behind their job uh, really fascinated me. And I, I knew I wanted to learn that to not only better myself, but uh, pr- better prepare me for any kind of leadership position I would have in the future. Uh, and through this program, you know, I'd had goals of uh, maybe being a congresswoman or a senator. But through this program, I really found out I wanted to help people on the day to day. And I was already doing that through my nonprofit work uh, indirectly. So this uh, offered me an opportunity to see what it would be like to um to work with people on a daily basis that help people directly uh, every single day with whatever they need, mental help or medical help or um, economic help, you know, all of those different things I wanted to learn more about. And uh, the cool part about this program um, was not only that it was through Georgetown, which is an amazing university in America, but also uh, that we could travel to different uh, parts of the world and do a field study of sorts, just like Franklin, a very similar experiential learning model uh, where you could learn from experts in the field about radioactive technologies, um, either detecting or, um, you know, mass destruction weapons. Uh, and uh, and that was when we were in California, we got to go to a, the lab where all of those things are tested and created. Uh, and then we got to go to New Orleans and Louisiana and learn about Hurricane Katrina and all of those amazing efforts um, that uh, our communities really came together to support um, uh, the victims of Hurricane Katrina. But I also you know, discovered like General Honore was the head of the Army's response to Hurricane Katrina. He came in and spoke with us. And said one of the things he thought of was a lot of people weren't leaving their houses because they were um, they didn't want to leave their animals behind. Uh, they were really upset that they would have to potentially leave their animals behind because a lot of shelters don't take animals on uh, those yeah. sorts of things. So General Honore actually got on the phone with Petco uh, at the time, and they sent a jet immediately that afternoon or that next day quickly, you know, things don't not normally happen that quickly, but apparently when you call Petco, it does. No, uh, <laughs> but uh, they got a jet that next day and basically said, we're going to take all animals and put them in temporary like foster homes across the United States uh, and um, get them out so that people would actually move out, get to a safe place, and so it's those kind of relationships that you don't necessarily hear about, um, but can really help you in the future if you're thinking a little bit outside the box. You know, this man comes from a military background and he's still thinking outside the box and that's what makes him great. And that's what, you know, why he was put in charge of this. Um, uh, of course, he had other help through um, the Coast Guard and through uh, the local government. But Hurricane Katrina at first was not uh, a success story at first a lot of people were very quickly dying and very quickly um unhoused there were uh um you know the the hospitals were without electricity for days and had to figure out that so new triage systems came out of hurricane katrina for us to use in the future uh new ways in which to deal with um uh 
uh, burns were out of um, uh, my experience in London when I learned about the London bombings. Um, more when I was there with Scotland Yard and with we we met with a plastic surgeon who really uh, showed us some really graphic photos. They told us that, but yeah, <laughs> but she was like, I learned a lot through this process because what they had to do was rely upon military medical treatment um, uh, systems and diagnoses in order to uh, deal with those kinds of um, uh, injuries that were uh, they were seeing because they had never dealt with some um, these kinds of bomb injuries in a civilian climate. So they didn't know how to deal with it. Apparently, when they burn really intensely, uh, it's hard to... You can clean them up and you can close up a wound but it will continue um, to develop and continue to grow because it is uh, a different kind of burn. And most military medics know this, but a civilian medic or a plastic surgeon would not know this. And so uh, they had to think outside the box once again in order to make sure that people can, you know, keep their limbs and, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and survive and have a good life post uh, these kinds of huge and awful tragedies. So being a part of that program not only allowed me an opportunity to see the world in a different way, but not, and know that partnerships and, um, you know, uh, connecting with others and thinking outside the box is how we all can get through crises, um, together and really help each other out. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I like the wide range of experience and information that you got throughout your program. And it, it's crazy to think that it was only just a year and you were able to kind of have this like eye-opening experience. That's amazing. And you you mentioned um, doing a lot of nonprofit work and a curiosity that just kind of came to my mind now is I was wondering how actually going and getting your master's um, degree actually helped you become a better volunteer and how that kind of interplay worked and helped you? Yeah, uh, I was actually working full-time for JDRF while getting my master's. So I was, you know, <laughs> I, I developed this uh, kind of uh, slogan for myself or, or way in which to live, mantra, there we go, <laughs> uh, for myself, where basically I was like, I can do three things. Like I have my, I have my work, I have my health, and I have my graduate studies. Uh, most days, I could only do two really well. Yeah. <laughs> out of three. So I had to figure out in, in which way uh, or which ones were going to have priority that day. And unfortunately, you know, it just, it always rotated. But I could figure out only two. Can't have all three <laughs> at the same time. So uh, it was a good uh, exercise in time management. Um, in prioritization, uh, which has then helped me to be a better manager um, and a better leader and uh, a, a better volunteer too, because then I could say uh, to whomever I'm volunteering with, uh, you know, I, I can do this, but I can't do this, right? <laughs> you can, yeah. and once, once you set those expectations and uh, of engagement uh, or those boundaries, uh, it's better for everyone involved you know, uh, in, in your relationships as well as in, uh, professional or personal relationships, just knowing where your boundaries are and, and expressing them saying like, I wish I could do more or saying, this is what I can do. 
And people are thankful for that. I, especially working with volunteers in my job, are extremely grateful for those volunteers who say, no, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, That's okay. That's really okay. You know, if you want to say no right now, and that makes you feel good, that's all I really care about. Um, and then, you know, knowing that they'll come back or that we'll just, if we have a different kind of opportunity for them, they're still passionate about the organization uh, most of the time, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and as I am too, but they just need, you know, their own, uh, they have to take care of their own personal life. I always said to my volunteers at JDRF, like, we get it. Uh, you have your life, you have your work, you have your kids, you have your family, you know, uh, uh, probably JDRF is fifth in line, but you know, if you can give us 10 minutes of your life, or if you can write one email to a person to talk about the amazing, um, preventative and curative, uh, techniques that JDRF is coming out with, then that's just one person that's maybe more inspired to help out. Uh, so I'm pretty shameless about plugging, <laughs> uh, um, you know, ways in which people can get involved in whatever nonprofit I'm in. Uh, I recently, uh, or a few years back, I used to run the walks on the national mall for JDRF. So we would host, um, you know, thousands of people on the national mall. And I'd uh, wrangle all of my friends in DC to come. I, I always call it voluntold. Uh, I voluntold all of my friends to come at 6 a.m. to help me <laughs> set up for, uh, you know, thousands of people and also stay there all morning so that you can, you know, help me out throughout the day. Uh, and they had very specific roles and that sort of thing. And one time, uh, a friend of mine from my intern days at the Atlantic Council, uh, he was asking me prior to this walk, you know, hey, do you, um, uh, <laughs> do you, um, can you help me with girls? You know, he was like a buddy of mine. And I was like, sure, sure. By the end of the bar therapy session, I said, why don't we just uh, set you up with someone? I have a couple different friends, you know, that I think you'd love to meet. And so on that day, I had one of my friends who's a fellow alum of Franklin come to volunteer. And I had her placed with my friend, Jonathan, both beautiful, intelligent people in DC. Uh, and uh, on that day, John fell in love with Aaron and now I'm officiating their wedding next month. <laughs> oh my God. So, so cute. Uh, it was kind of amazing. I didn't know, I didn't know if it would work out that way. I thought, well, these two uh, should meet, you know, but um, <laughs> I didn't know it would end that way, but we're, I get to be a part of their special day next month. That's amazing. So all these connections, once again, you know, uh, and, my life is yeah. just full of uh, connecting people and, um, personally and professionally, I guess that's, I guess that's how I would describe my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So now you actually work as a senior development officer for roughly about three months now at Mosaic Metal, Medical, excuse me. Um, and I'm wondering how is that going? Um, I feel like maybe it's kind of a combination of passions that you have and I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah. I love Mosaic Medical. I'm wearing some of their attire at the moment. Uh, <laughs> um, I am heading up their fundraising program at Mosaic Medical. Um, in the past, um, 
first off, Mosaic Medical is a nonprofit health center uh, that was started almost 20 years ago now uh, by a, fam- a few families in Prineville, Oregon, which is a tiny rural town uh, outside of Bend area. Um, people know Bend more nowadays, but at the time, that whole central Oregon area was filled with uh, uh, more rural communities, uh, farming communities and those sorts of things. And uh, they didn't really have great access to any uh, primary care physicians. Um, And unfortunately, a family um, brought in their infant child um, to the emergency room when it was already too late. Uh, Had they been seeing a primary care physician prior to this, and had they had access to those, um, to that person that could help them navigate uh, through the, what the child had, um, that child would be still living to this day. So, uh, the families of Prineville came together, um, and raised enough money to start a clinic there. And, uh, that clinic did very well and helped out so many people that they started getting federal funding and state funding and all these different, um, people wanted to help out. It expanded further, and now, almost 20 years later, we have 15 clinics across Central Oregon, uh, six of which are uh, physical clinics, just Mosaic Medical. Others are in partnership with counties, uh, health departments, um, as well as in schools. So we have our school-based health clinics as well. Uh, so for a long time, Mosaic Medical has done a great job of getting grants and those sorts of um, amazing programs that uh, we have federally and and statewide in Oregon. Uh, but people want to be a part of that and help us. We, we realize now as we get into our 20th year, we really have to diversify our revenue. Um, and so I was hired because I have 11 years of fundraising experience and nonprofit management uh, to build that program for them. Uh, right now, I'm actually working on a huge cultural shift for our Mosaic employees. So I have to give... Um, uh, I have to, I'm doing a staff rollout uh, of the new fundraising program and who I am as well as uh, um, the programs that I am working to put in place for our community and, and really build up that revenue. Uh, because it's already been happening organically for Mosaic. People, we've been giving out um, vaccines for the last uh, few months and we shut down one of our clinics, our main clinics in Bend in order to provide thousands upon thousands of vaccines for anyone in Central Oregon. Actually, they didn't even have to be a resident of Central Oregon to get their vaccines. Um, And we did that because Mosaic believes in giving back. No matter your creed, your gender, your uh, um, sexual orientation, no matter who you are, you can get help at Mosaic Medical. And so it's just one more way in which Mosaic shows that to the community um, and uh, provides that kind of health opportunity for all. Um, Now we're shutting down that clinic because uh, our numbers are actually really good in um, central Oregon uh, and around the state of Oregon, actually. Uh, So we get to get back to our our regular primary care and prenatal programs that are there, um, our services that are there in that particular clinic. But Mosaic Medical also provides um, not only medicine, but uh, pharmaceutical help. So helping people um, pay for their 
medications, which sometimes can be very expensive, especially if someone's having to take chemo drugs or anything like that, um, or insulin even, uh, very expensive. Um, uh, nutritional services, behavioral services also, and dental. So we have five different ways in which people can get involved. And every single morning, our staff gets up, you know, at the crack of dawn to talk through the panel of patients that are coming in and say, oh, I'm, I've identified this patient as needing more help behaviorally or needing more help um, through dental. And so they'll come together and work as a team to better provide uh, all basically a holistic approach to that uh, patient. So, you know, I, I talked a lot about Mosaic just now because I've only been there three months, but I've been so inspired by the work that they're doing and hope that this kind of model, you know, can really spread across uh, America you know, to help as many people. I think um, COVID has really put a spotlight on our healthcare system in America. And um, I'm just proud to be a part of a system that seems to be working for the betterment of the patient, not not the system or or the you know hospital system itself um but rather focused on that patient um and and organically people have been giving to mosaic without us asking for it so it's just i'm formalizing that particular program and making sure that people can uh give directly to what they want to give to that's uh i mean when someone's passionate about something they they want to be kind of told the opportunities that they can be a part of. And that's a big part of my job. I like that. I feel like a really general theme of your professional career is passion. I love how passionate you, you are about everything that you've done and the ability and the desire you have to give that passion to other people. I think that's really amazing and exciting. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I do. I, uh, I love hearing that actually. Thank you. (laughs) That keeps me going. And so kind of looking forward, um, where do you see yourself going, not only with your relation to Franklin as an alumni council member, but like you said, professionally, maybe you're considering holding a position um, in the public sphere and kind of, you know, what, what, what's on the radar for you in the next couple of years? Yeah. Uh, That's a good question. Well, I just moved to Central Oregon um, a little over three months ago. Uh, So exploring that new part of the world uh, is is on my first part of my agenda. But um, I've actually been nominated to uh, be a part of this program called Leadership Bend. Uh, And it's through the Chamber of Commerce of Bend and um, leaders from all throughout and that are um, kind of young professionals. They're already managers or directors um, or, uh, or senior positions of some sort uh, come together and we learn more about Bend itself. We, we hear from uh, government employees, we hear from nonprofit, we hear from corporate, um, you know, all the different ways in which Bend thrives. Uh, we get to hear from those experts uh, that make that happen. And uh, so that puts me on my track to get more involved in Bend as a city council member or city commissioner. Um, those kind of positions is what I'm looking into next. Uh, at, throughout this program, I'll be looking at more of those opportunities. Um, so I'm really excited. I, I moved to Bend because I wanted a small city um, that I could get really involved in. Uh, DC has, was fantastic, and I did a lot of uh 
fun and and great stuff there but um i really want to know my neighbors more you know i want to yeah. i want to get involved um in in helping my community out more uh so bend is really the perfect place for that i said i wanted a small city uh that had craft cocktails in close proximity to outdoor <laughs> adventures and <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> uh, I thought of a couple other cities around the United States, but Bend kind of has the right weather for me also. Growing up in Colorado, Bend is very similar weather. Uh, so <laughs> I felt good yeah. about that move. Um, so in the next few years, I'll be looking to get more involved in the city, join various um, nonprofit boards in uh, Bend. Uh, meanwhile, though, I'm serving, I have the honor of serving on our Franklin board as an alumni trustee. And I just started that particular position uh, this last November. And I'm looking forward to uh, being more involved in Franklin this way. I'm, uh, I'm the vice chair of the strategic planning committee at the moment. Uh, and we've met weekly um, for the last spring uh, at 6 a.m. in Oregon. Um, oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, But really to think through and question what uh, Franklin is doing in um, or see if we even need to question, you know, what Franklin is doing and just do that analysis of where we are now and what we can be in the future. Um, and I just love being a part of that group that is really thinking once again, outside the box. I, I gravitate towards people that don't want to just do the standard, the status quo, um, but want to work within the framework we have to make it better, um, or to, uh, make sure that it is sustainable. You know, Franklin uh, is a private university, and so we have to make sure that uh, it's a viable um, university as well. So I'm, I'm really, it's a great privilege to be a part of that group, uh, but then also to be able to work with current students or graduates like yourself now. Congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and, um, and uh, looking for ways in which we can all work together um, to make sure Franklin stays around for, you know, 50 more years now that we've been yeah. celebrating our 52nd year yeah. <laughs> of Franklin. Yeah. Less uh, of a ring, but still exciting. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm still excited. I mean, my friends and I from Franklin, you know, no matter if we haven't talked for a couple of years, are all going to be there, you know, and yeah. and hugging each other at the global alumni reunion next year <laughs> yeah i'm excited as well i think i'll be in attendance so we'll yeah see. good yeah. yeah well thank you so much for being on the podcast it's been wonderful and i'm sure we'll hear from you um at least definitely in the context of franklin if not in others but um yeah thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and wish thank you the you, best Margaret. of luck Oh, thank you so much, Margaret. And you too, as a new thank graduate you. of Franklin, we're excited to see what you do too. And, you know, I have to say that to you, Margaret, and to anyone listening to this, that's all night. The biggest thing that I can say is just ask for help. Anytime you need anything, the people around the world that are connected to Franklin in some way, shape or form are there to help you, you know, whether it be for a job, or just mentoring and advice, um, or something even fun. You know, what's the coolest thing to see in this city and in another part of the world? We got you. So exactly. <laughs> or in your case, if you want to find your spouse, yeah. um, send her an email and she can help you with that as there well. There we go. <laughs> and that's making uh, um, business is now out there. It's begun. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'll speak with you soon. 
Sounds great. Thanks, Margaret. Bye-bye.